I also have all of these on the screen behind me. Um, so this morning, my name is Jared. I am on staff here at the branch. And before we get going, a couple of announcements for you. Uh, one, we will be having a Christmas Eve service. This is on Christmas Eve. Uh, it'll be at 3 p.m. at Blue Mountain Vineyards. Uh, Teddy and Jessica, they're uh, very generous in hosting us there. And this service is always a ton of fun. And we get to have it there, which makes it even better. Um, so come to that. Uh, number two, we will not be gathering on Christmas Day or New Year's Day. Uh, so if you come here, we will not be here. Uh, if you cannot tell, this is a church. Uh, this is not a church. Sorry, this is not a church. This is a government building. Uh, and so we're kind of limited on the days that they are open. So Christmas Eve, yes, church. Christmas Day, New Year's Day, no church. Perfect. Uh, so last week, if you weren't with us, we started our Advent series. We're kind of taking a break from Exodus, and we're going through Advent. And last week, Stephen did a great job of breaking down Advent and explaining the church calendar. So really encourage you guys to go back and listen to that on the podcast. It was very helpful. Um, basically, all Advent is is that it is a season leading up to Christmas where the church the entire church, takes time to reflect on the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, and what he has done for us, but also to look forward and to look to what he is doing to come and return to earth. And traditionally, this starts four weeks before Christmas, right? We've got hope, uh, peace, joy, and love are the four, four topics that we cover. And last week, we did hope, and so this week is peace. And it was kind of funny, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was not at peace at all, right? It's stressful. Uh, and I think even knowing that I was preaching on peace made it even more unpeaceful. Uh, and so I think that was the Lord's way of trying to prepare me of, yes, let's watch you fight for peace so that you can help other people fight for peace. So hopefully that will be helpful for us this morning. And it kind of centers around this idea of what is it about the coming of Jesus that should bring us peace? And the big idea for this, uh, for this morning, is that Jesus gives us peace by reconciling us with God. And this peace, uh, it comes from Him primarily. And that once again, that we are with God, uh, this allows us to have rest and allows us to have peace uh, with the rest of the earth and people around us. It also lets us have peace and resting in our assurance of salvation. And so when we think about peace, we kind of have several different ideas and things that may come to mind. We've got uh, the idea of worldly peace, right? This is a real category, real things. This includes anxiety, busyness, war, conflict, pain. Uh, lots of different things can fit into this category, and it's something that we probably think about quite often, right? Why is the world so chaotic? Why is my life so busy? Uh, and these are real issues, real things that we have to face and think about and deal with, uh, but this isn't exactly what the Bible is talking about when it talks about peace. When we talk about peace like the Bible does, the conversation kind of takes a wider turn, right? The category gets a little deeper, a little heavier, uh, so it kind of starts with more of a technical explanation, and then I'll try to break it down to a more applicable one. Uh, so the biblical word for peace is this word shalom, right? I'm not a Hebrew scholar at all, uh, so everything that I'm saying just comes from books and things I've read. Uh, now this word shalom translates more into just the English word for peace, it is wholeness, tranquility, uh, lack of conflict, and it's used either in war or just in your personal life. Uh, and most importantly, this word shalom talks about right relationship with God, this wholeness of idea of we're not just broken people by ourselves, but we have shalom because we are at shalom with God. 
And this is what I mean when the word gets kind of big and heavy, right? When we think about it in the context of Exodus, because that's where we've been, uh, the, the city Jerusalem, right? The second part of that word is shalom. Uh, God is taking his people to the city, the city of Jerusalem, so that they can be at peace. It is a city at peace, not because they are just there and they have their own region and country and they're free from war, uh, but because they are dwelling there with God himself. And that is this important definition of shalom that we, we kind of want to start with. Uh, if we were to take a um, typical Christmas passage, Isaiah 9, right? It talks about um, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of shalom. Uh, this prince of wholeness with God, this is talking about Jesus, of course, uh, and talks about the increase of his government, how the shalom will continue, um, how he establishes it, this right relationship and this wholeness with God. So when we think about the context of Advent, the coming of Jesus, this peace that he is supposed to bring us, uh, this is all because he was the promised ruler, the one that would come and give us peace, that would give us this wholeness with God. Right? And we were kind of talking about it this morning, uh, Tori and I, while we were kind of getting ready, and it's difficult to explain the idea of peace. To me, it's much easier to explain the idea of unpeace, not peace. Uh, and I think that's kind of our default. That's where we naturally operate is this idea of not having peace. And it's something that we can all feel, right? So we're getting ready, brushing my teeth, doing my thing. This is earlier in the week. And I just give this big sigh, you know, like the... <sighs> like one of those, right? And Tori, who's in the other room, kind of doing whatever, hears me and goes, yep, I feel you. And she didn't know what I was thinking, doesn't know what's going through my head, why I'm frustrated this early in the morning. Uh, but she understands this feeling, we all do, of just this not peace, of this uncomfort, this heaviness. And it's something that we can all relate to. And luckily, this is something uh, that Jesus has come to prepare us for, to give us back this piece. Uh, and so, as I promised, first flip, uh, we're going to be in Genesis 3, uh, and then we'll return to Ephesians, so you might want to keep your finger there. Hopefully it didn't turn too quick. Now this unpeace uh, that we all relate to naturally, this is because this, it started back in the garden, and it started back in two major ways, and we'll read about those. Genesis 3, we're going to be in verses 8 through 13. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent, he deceived me, and I ate. So two major sources of conflict here. This is kind of points to our unpeace. First and foremost we see is the conflict with God, right? Uh, they hear him walking in the garden and they immediately go and hide. They're ashamed and they don't want to be with him, right? This is the, the interruption of this peace that we had, that Adam and Eve had in the garden originally. They had peace with God. They had right relation. Uh, life was good. Imagine just dwelling with your creator. Um, work was easy. It was enjoyable. It's what they wanted to do. 
And this is exactly what we do not have. We don't have this relationship that we were created to have. Uh, we do not have the things that we are built to desire to have, uh, and that is God himself. And so it's no wonder that we're not at peace. It's no wonder that life is difficult when we don't have the thing that we really long for. It, it makes perfect sense of why this would be. It's because our lives have this brokenness that was started back in the garden from, from this original interruption. And the second thing that we see, this big unpeace in this passage, is conflict with each other and the rest of creation, right? So yes, we were created to be with God, but we were also created to be together. We were created to rule over creation and do these things. But see what happens immediately after they eat, when sin starts taking over, right? The man starts blaming woman. Adam starts pointing the finger at Eve and saying, it's her fault. She did it, right? Eve turns around and does the same thing. It's the snake's fault. He did it. This conflict is already starting. This not peace is already being made uh, with each other. And we look down the line, and before you know it, people start, they're killing people. They're being violent. Uh, this peace is just thrown out the window, right? And so it's no wonder that we can feel naturally not at peace because the world is naturally not at peace, right? And if we keep Going down, uh, starting in verse 22, we see, uh, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And this, again, highlights the reason why we do not have peace. We are no longer have this right communion. We no longer have this natural relationship with God, right? We live in a corrupt world, world corrupted of our sin in conflict. But how is it that Jesus is supposed to bring us peace? That's exactly what Advent is about, right? So now we'll turn back. Ephesians 2 will be in verses 11 through 22. Again, this should be on the screen behind me. So starting in verse 11, Ephesians 2. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So this, right off the bat, is the key to our peace. It's exactly how Jesus brings us peace. And this is where we start to see this true peace coming back into the world, right? It says that we are brought near to God. We once were without God and did not have access to Him, but now we are brought near through the blood of Christ. And although that we were the ones that caused the conflict, the violence, the struggle, the strife, etc., etc., uh, Jesus still came to earth. This is exactly what Advent's about. This is, he came, this is why we celebrate Christmas, because he came to live here in a life of conflict. He gave up peace with God temporarily to come and live a, in a world that was broken. Uh, and he died. He lived and died. And through his blood, we are reconciled to God. 
And so that this relationship that we were meant to have, that we were given at the beginning until we messed it up, is once again possible for us to have through Jesus' death on the cross, right? And this is the promise that's given to us, to those that believe that Jesus died so that we can believe, so that we can once again have the peace that we were meant to have. Let's keep going. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now again, we see an important aspect here, and it's very important that we get this right. Uh, Jesus is peace, right? It doesn't say that he gives us peace. It doesn't say that peace is a perk of this relationship, but rather that he is peace himself. Two cannot be separated, right? Uh, And this is why he is, again, called the Prince of Peace in Isaiah, because one, he is the ruler that ushers in this peace. He is the good king that is to make things peaceful again, but he is also the one that is peaceful. We have peace because he is peaceful. And that's what really makes this first point kind of double down in in the value here, that if our relationship with the Godhead has been reconciled, if we have peace again because we have relationship with him, that means that we now have this closeness to peace itself. So we have it on both ends. We have both peace with God and peace with peace itself. It kind of, you can see how it goes on and on and on. So let's keep reading verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So peace with God gives us unity with one another. And a funny thing about this passage, when I started studying it and looking at it, I thought I knew what the context was and what it was talking about, but it turns out I was wrong. Uh, and when I actually studied it and got to know it, uh, the context made it better. Uh, It's funny how when you read something correctly, it makes it make more sense. Um, But here what Paul is talking about is this discontent, this conflict that the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers had with each other uh, based on their differing beliefs, right? Some were saying, you must be circumcised. Some were saying, uh, we don't want to be circumcised. Um, Regardless, the solution to this, Paul's solution, was not just, just be at peace. Have you ever tried just not arguing with each other? It's not what he says. Uh, He says that we are unified together through a greater purpose. We are unified together through Christ. And these things are supposed to give us peace, right? Uh, Reconciliation with God, closeness with peace, peace with one another finally. And obviously, uh, we want these things, right? But we see that this is not the case, that there's still war, there's still pain, there's peace, not peace everywhere. And this is where the meaning of Advent comes back into play. Remember, we're not supposed to just look back and see what Jesus has done, but we're supposed to look forward and see what it is that he is going to do for us. And so, turn with me, Romans 8, last time, I promise. We're going to be in verses 18 through 23.
Romans 8, 18 through 23. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So this passage brings back to our mind this longing, this uh, desire that we have for a relationship with God. Uh, the corruption caused by sin causes us to long for heaven. It longs uh, for Jesus to return. And we see that this isn't just something that we feel ourselves, right? We all agree that uh, things are difficult. Things are not at peace, but it is even creation itself, right? The whole earth groans in the pains of childbirth, uh, longing and looking forward to when Christ returns. And we see that this is something that is natural for us to feel. Um, even has sons, even though we've already been made one with Christ, we still look forward to His coming. And so this is where we're supposed to see that peace come in, uh, that even though we're distracted from busyness, anxiety, I know busyness is definitely a big one for us and our family, for me, uh, that just causes this distraction from focusing on Christ. And I feel like that's even something that's even more difficult to do during Christmas, right? When it's supposed to be peaceful, when we're supposed to take the time to reflect and think about what Christ has done, we even double down on the distractions that we feel during this time. And so it's kind of, uh, this passage brings us back to mind that we're supposed to be looking forward to Christ, right? And this is the, the real solution to our peace, right? We feel now uh, might be temporary peace, um, but what He is bringing is forever peace. And this is an important thing to keep in mind. It's what exactly Isaiah 9 is talking about, this promise, right? The Prince of Peace, the government that will have no end. It will continue on and on forever and ever. And this is, again, where we find rest, where we find more peace, is in this assurance of our salvation, of what we're supposed to feel good in, is this peace with God. And so as we kind of go into this time of communion, I want to pose one question. Uh, Jesus has given us peace. We, we've read that. He, he will return. He is our peace. Then how is it that we are still not at peace? And the reason we may not feel this is just from lack of taking time to enjoy this peace with God. And again, I'm just as guilty of this. We were talking earlier this week of having um, the authority to talk about these things, but this is something that I'm just as guilty of, not having this peace at times because I'm too busy running around doing all other things. And we see that these other things are not important. They're not eternal like the kingdom of God that is promised of us. And so as we go to communion, this is the perfect time for us to go to the table with peace. This is the time that we kind of built into our week so that we are supposed to remain peaceful, to reflect on these things. So I kind of want to apply that, that throughout this week, just as we are going, preparing for Christmas, running out, buying last-minute gifts, planning things, that we stay at peace and remember this time that we have 
reflecting on God, remembering who He is and what He has done for us so that we will not have a lack, we will not be chaotic, but that we can rest enjoyably uh, with God. Um, So, as we go to communion, just remember these things. Um, I'll pray. Father, I thank You for this morning, and I thank You for coming to die for us, that You have come to deliver us peace again, to make us peaceful, so that we can enjoy our time with You, so that we can see who You are and what You have done for us. I thank You for dying so that we can enjoy You, so that we can know You, so that we can be close to You. And I pray that just as we are uh, in this time of struggle, that as we are uh, trying to remain peaceful, that You will just help us with that, that You will just uh, make our lives easy and free of conflict and uh, enjoyable, that we will enjoy You and who You are and what You have done for us. And I thank You for all that You've done. In Jesus' name, amen.